see you and you know if you know nothing today you know today's message is going to be interesting when the series video has snippets or clips from father ted like it's yeah. it's either going to be really good or really bad and we guarantee either of those but nowhere in between <coughs> before i jump into part three of the series it's called cop on heads up some exciting news uh, to announce to you first and foremost that on march 5th that's two Sundays from now. We'll be having our Vision Sunday, everybody. Come on. We're super excited for Vision Sunday because we're not just a church that meets in the cinema, which is odd enough in and of itself, but we're a church of purpose, on purpose, for purpose. And we are currently one church in two locations. We have a Navin location that right now is meeting simultaneously to us at the nightclub. And we're six weeks away from launching our third and newest location in the dock, everybody. April 2nd, White House and Dock will be born. And all of a sudden, we'll be one church in three locations, which is a pretty cool thing. But as most of you are aware, uh, we've been praying over the last few weeks for our Navin location to find a new venue. We were doing an internal fundraiser called Heart for the House. And thank you, every one of you who've given and was part of that because it's making it possible for our Navin location to move. And of course, we told you two weeks ago, we found a new location. And on March 5th, our Navin location will be having their first live service in our new location for Vision Sunday. And to make it even better, because we have a bit of flexibility on that Sunday, we're going to be doing that service at 2 p.m. in Navin. So if any of you want to come along and check out what's happening in Navin, where your generosity went, and just meet yeah, some of the wider on. family, and we're going to have an after party, you're all welcome to join us uh, in Navin on March 5th for that. And really, what we're focusing on on Vision Sunday is we're looking back at all the things we hoped we could have done back in September and how God has held us and you know given us uh, hope and, and made a way. But we're also looking forward beyond the launch of the dock to what we think God is saying to us for the next six months, where we want to go, what we want to achieve, and some of the exciting things that are upcoming in our church. So do not miss March 5th. Vision Sunday, everybody. Okay, now we are in part three of the series called Cop On, and really what we're trying to do is uh, foolproof our lives. Now, before you look just mentally at that kind of tagline and say, yes, I need to get away from all those fools, the fools we're talking about is the fool in the mirror. It's not foolproofing yourself from other fools, it's foolproofing yourself from the foolishness of yourself. Because, you know, foolishness and wisdom, as we talk about these themes, no one's born wise or born foolish, you're not born a fool, but you can become a fool through lots of choices. What we realized, if you've lived for more than five minutes, is that foolishness is inevitable. Sooner or later, you're going to say something, do something, not say something, you should have said something, not done something you want. Like before you get married, life is simple because you can only like say something stupid or do something stupid. But after you get married, you cannot say something that should have been said that made you look stupid. Or you didn't do the thing you should have done that was expected of you to do that wasn't known to be done, which made you get in trouble, which you're going, why am I even in trouble? I don't understand. Like it gets really complicated. So foolishness, sooner or later, is inevitable, but cop on is intentional. Yeah, yeah. To have a bit of good old fashioned cop on requires a little bit of intentionality. Recently I was talking to an older, I should say a more mature uh, lady. 
and by mature, mature I mean she must have been at least in her mid-80s, so very mature, and uh, mature but not old. And we're, we're just chatting and she said, you know the problem is, people just, people just need to have more cop on. Like people just need to have just more good old fashioned common sense. And the thing about common sense that I've learned from leading a church for 16 plus years is common sense isn't very common. And if we're left to our own devices, sense also goes out the door too. We need help. And if you're here, you're not a Christ follower, or just, you're just coming in because I'm going to invite you, or glad you're here. Hopefully, something of what I'm about to say of next week will be helpful to you because what we find is, is God's book, aka the Bible, isn't just some religious book or some holy book or some <laughs> ancient manuscript, but actually this book is packed full of lessons for life. Real life lessons that apply to our very real lives right now. What we're doing in this series is we're looking primarily at one book in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, and asking ourselves the question, what does God say to us through his word, through Proverbs, about having some good old-fashioned cop on? Now, if you want to track along with me, all today's notes in the Bible app by version. if you haven't already scanned the QR code and download the app, make sure to do so. All today's notes are there for you, plus some other resources that will help you on your journey. And a cool feature that the Bible app brought last year is if you're part of my house church, you can, actually, you can actually click my church and you can name this church your church. So whenever we put out updates or put out information, you can get notified about those as well. And we're also doing a Bible reading plan this entire month through Proverbs, which you want to, you can join with us on that. Now, another thing that we've been doing as part of the Cop On series is we've been trying to lean into our Irish heritage and our Irish culture because the Irish language and Irish culture is rich with good old-fashioned proverbial wise sayings. In fact, in the Irish language, a proverb is called a shanfuckle, which is literally translated as old word, proverb. And every week, the word shaktana, so shanfuckle na shaktana, means like proverb of the week. So every week we've been sharing proverbs. Anyone remember what the first one was? The second one? Yeah, we learned English, that's okay. Well, maybe we have better luck with the third one, okay? So here's the third shanfuckle na shaktana. Put up there, guys. Very simple. Nevween on Roth Akmar Amween on Schwachs. It's, it's not Russian, guys. It's, 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 it's Irish. Like, what is it? Here we go. Ni vin an roth ak mar amin an shmach. Which means there is no success without discipline. There's no success without discipline. Like, even if you're not someone who believes in God or has faith, you look at a statement, you go, there's a degree of truth in this. If I want to succeed or achieve in life, in order to achieve a goal, I have to be willing to put myself through some kind of discipline in order to achieve that goal. That's exactly what we're talking about in part three. The message is called restrained restraint. Restrained Restraint. Now to build a foundation and get us up to speed for those who only joined us today for the first time, let's go back to week one. Week one we laid the foundation for the series. We looked at Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. We said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We define that that word fear in the, in the original Hebrew is not so much a fear as being afraid of, but actually it's a fear as reverence. To, to, to hold God in value, to recognize, recognize God's worth and God's weight in my life. And we said to hold God in reverence, to hold God in the right kind of fear, because there's an unhealthy fear which is manipulative and coercive and is oftentimes 
wrapped up in religion and makes you feel bad. If that's not helpful, that's not healthy, that's not, we, that's not the picture of God we find when we read the Word. But it's this, this heartfelt reverence that comes from a relationship with God. We talked about how that can only come when we have trust, where there's a relationship. A relationship between us and God that's built on not fear or shame or guilt, but built on trust. And that word trust in the, in the English dictionary is defined as a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, or ability, or ability of a person or a thing. We trust people, we trust things that are consistent in their reliability, that are consistently true over time, and that are consistent in their ability to be there for us. And even if you're someone who's here today and not a Christ bar, the thing that, that we have to think about is why is there a church like this in 21st century Ireland? Like why are there still people who say they have a trust trust-built relationship with God that gives them hope and gives them help and that our testimony, our story, our sharing of what God has done in our lives is one of God has been reliable and God has been true and God has been able to help. And when you don't have those things in your life, you find yourself with a shortage of reliable things or people in your time of need. When you find yourself searching out, wondering what really is truth, or you find yourself at the end of yourself and no one is able to help you, the question is, would we be open to turning to God? See, wisdom, we're told in the book of Proverbs, knows that we can trust God. We can trust God for two reasons. One, because he is good in nature. God is not some angry old dude like the Wizard of Oz pulling levers behind some curtains trying to stop us from achieving our destiny. God is a loving, benevolent, interested Father who through sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, proved to the world, demonstrated to the world that He loves the world even if the world chooses to reject Him, as so many do. So yes, and that's what celebrate. So God is committed. And because of what God has done in our personal lives and what we see in the Word, God is also worthy of trust. Then last week in week two, we turn to Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, and we built on the idea that to trust in the Lord, we got to trust in all of our hearts, and that means not leaning on our own understanding. That means not being self-righteous or, or so autonomous that we don't need anyone at any time for any reason. Not to lean on our understanding, but in all our ways submit to Him, and in doing that, in trusting and leaning and submitting to Him, He will make our paths straight. What we realize is that in the book of Proverbs, there's three primary paths that are offered to us, okay? Three primary ways of doing life. The first path, we're told in Proverbs, is the path of the fool. Now again, we're not born into these paths, we're not limited to these paths, it's our choices, our daily choice that determine what path we're gonna be on. And, the, and the, the path, the way of the fool, is people who don't take feedback. They're not open to correction, they don't want any advice, they don't want any help. Whenever your feedback is offered, they often fight back. And that leads them on a whole journey, which you want to go back and listen to the last week's message you can, about the path of the fool. The second path is the path of the evil. This is a real problem, because where fools are unintentional in their stupidity, meaning they're just diverted, they're off course, they're lost, evil people are intentional on being malevolent and destructive and cynical and malicious, and hurtful, and harmful. They're determined to destroy themselves and anyone else they can. We do really, really be careful of evil people, but we also gotta realize is the, more, the warning call of Proverbs that if you stay on the path of the fool for too long, 
not being accountable, not being a relationship, not being teachable, not, not being something that anyone can talk to and offer advice or correction, you are in danger of one day finding yourself on the evil path. No child at three years old says, my dream one day is to be a murderer and go to prison. No child says, my dream one day is to do something so bad that it destroys people's lives. Or no child is born with that kind of malevolence. But choices over time, compacted, lack of support, lack of truth, lack of love, lack of all these things, cause people, through their own choices, to end up on the evil path. And the third and final option covers presents with is, of course, the wise path. And wise people know they're fools. And wise people know that if they're fools for a long time, they might become evil. So wise people do practical things in very real and meaningful ways that keep them wise. They're likable, they're teachable, and they're humble. They understand that they aren't the be-all and end-all. They don't know everything and they aren't as perfect as they like to think they are. Wise people are open to the fact that in life we need help. And the whole point of what we're saying is that we need to cop on to this fact. We need to cop on to the fact that our lives are, our lives are a journey. Our life isn't a static, stuck thing. You can feel stuck. You can feel like you're not moving. But even when you're not moving physically, life is a travelator. It's moving you anyway. Like even if you want to stand still and, and you know, pull your blanket over your head and hide from the world, you're still moving. Time, life is moving us forward and whatever even if we say well, I don't have the direction in life or I have no plan in life or I have no purpose or I have no great design the truth is you're still moving and you're still moving in a direction the question is not am I moving in a direction the question is what direction am I moving in and is it the direction I want to be moving in why because when it comes to life we think oh these diversions these temporary detours that I take off course, these temporary choices I make, these temporary commitments I make aren't that harmful in the long run. But the truth is diversions are never just detours. Diversions become directions. And directions become destinations. The best way to predict where you're going to be in five years is to ask yourself the question right now, what way am I pointed? Because I know our consumeristic quick fix McDonald's super, you know, uh, size me, instant gratification culture leads us to believe that even though we're going the wrong way, there'll be a button, there'll be a unfollow, there'll be an unsubscribe. There's just a, it's a simple thing I can do to get out of this. And the truth is, it's not that simple to get out of a marriage that's failing. It's not that simple to sit with your children and explain to them why mommy and daddy are no longer be together. It's not that simple to turn around and realize that you are now insolvent and need to go bankrupt. It's not that simple when you're told by a doctor you have an incurable disease and your life will end now. And the question is, how do, we, how do we get to these destinations? The answer is, we chose these directions, oftentimes by lifestyle choices. Now today, as we build on this part three, I want to talk to you about a very exciting theme. You're going to love this. It's going to make you really happy. We're going to talk about discipline. So glad I came to church today. <laughs> We're going to talk about discipline. And I want to just say from the outset that when it comes to what we're saying in general, um, I am not the standard for what we're talking about. Okay, so I'm going to share some things you believe are important and useful and helpful. But don't, don't look to me. Let's all look to Jesus, okay? Because I'm a disaster. I'm a work in progress. And I'm just trying to live out the things I'm sharing with you together as a faith 
community. But discipline is really important. Why? Because discipline, the, the, the ability to make choices now that keep us on track determines where we'll end up later. And every day we have choices to make. And discipline, one way of thinking of discipline in regards to our series is discipline is simply the daily choices we make to say yes or no to things in order to stay on the wise path. The wise path. And again, even if you're not a Christian or Christ follower, you get this because if you want to, if you've got a goal to get healthy or fit or lose weight or, or learn a new skill or get better at sport, you know, right? It's just, it's just, a, it's just a accepted fact that in order to be successful at something, like the Irish proverb, like the Sean Buckle said, we have to be disciplined. You can't eat your way through 10 tubs of Ben and Jerry's and then expect to do well in the marathon. Unless you're like so insanely fit you can do that, which everyone in this room hates you right now. Uh, but God loves you, I think. Um, like, this doesn't work with that. Like, you, you can't say, I'm going to go out and start playing this new sport. Like, I'm going to just pick up, I don't know, name a sport. Babin didn't be good at it. Not any practice. The price for progress is that we have to be disciplined. Now, we know this. And we all know, in some way, shape, or form, the benefit, the feeling of when we were disciplined and we achieved a goal. What we don't do for some strange reason is we don't apply that same reality that we use for sport, our health, our fitness, our career, to our lives. But the truth is, just like sport and health and career, this principle is true of our lives. Why? Because choices aren't just decisions. Choices are directions. When you chose to come to this place today and unchose the other options, which may have been stay in bed, or go somewhere else, or whatever. By choosing to be here, you chose a direction. And I believe it was a good direction. And I believe it was a wise direction. I believe if you're someone who's here, and you're a person of faith, this should be your first choice every Sunday. Yeah, right. I already believe that. One other person believes that. Five more people believe that. Well, let's keep going and see if we get to the end of the message. I really think it's important that we make a what. Like, if we get everything else wrong in the week, just by choosing to be consistent in gathering with God's people, man, don't underestimate the power of what God can do through that choice every single week throughout the year. So our choices are directions, and directions determine destination. So the question we're going to ask today is, how does discipline keep us on the path of the wise? And as we've been doing every week, we're going to turn to God's Word, book of Proverbs. We've got one verse today, Proverbs 29 Verse 18, if you grew up in church, or from a church background, I'm not, I wasn't raised in church, I was not raised a Christian, I was raised in a traditional denomination, so I meet people who have like songs they sang in Sunday school and Bible stories, and I'm like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I was raised on a healthy diet of Led Zeppelin, Thin Lizzy, AC, ACDC, and all those great storytelling people from my childhood. Um, but if you're raised in church, then you're going to know this verse. Because this is, this is a quote. It's quoted usually all the time. And usually it's quoted in the context of vision. When it talks about like having a vision for your life or having a vision for your business. And I might even use this verse on Vision Sunday. But the truth is, the primary, the principal application of this verse isn't vision, as in a direction for your life. But it's an understanding. It's a clarity of once we understand who God is, once we see God for who he is, how does that reflect on who we are. Let's read together. It says this in verse 18. It says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he, 
or blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The old King James would have said, where there's no vision, people perish. Right? That's the verse you may grew up with. But let's break it down. This is very important. Revelation in this instance refers to an understanding of God. Where there's no understanding of God. Where there's no value for God. Where there's no interest in what does God think. People cast off restraint. We're witnessing this right now in our culture. Because even though a lot of what, especially in Ireland, we inherited in the form of religion was unhealthy and unhelpful. Not everything that was part of it was unhealthy. For example, morality is not a bad thing. Like when it comes to the idea that a human life is sacred and should be protected above all else, and that when it comes to the conversation of property versus humanity, humanity is always more valuable than property. Here's what you need to know. That idea, that ideology, that value, that, that, that moral, didn't just creep up out of nowhere. That's a Christian virtue, a Christian morality. That was over time people realized, because for most history, in most cases, people had less value than property. In fact, people, uh, you know, the, the female sex at large, and anyone who was a slave, were considered property. And you could be worth less property to the owner of your life than, than their dog, if they will so. And that's wrong. And the voice that was consistent throughout history saying that's wrong, and confirmed that was the Gospels. And is the text where it says that God has created all mankind to be yeah. equal. Amen. Yeah, thank you. And so it's really important to realize that morality has become a vacuum. A lot of what we believe and hold true in our Western world comes from our Christian paradigm. Now, as that's eroding, what's happening, when people are confused, what is a person? What constitutes a, cer a certain sex? Where does value lie? What does it mean to be offended? Who is culpable? I mean, there's all these questions. And part of the confusion is because we're, we're pushing ourselves further and further and further into a culture that pays no regard to God. And it will get dangerous. Because at some point, the question needs to be asked, what is truth? What is true? And if, there's, if, if truth is always subjective, is it my truth, is my truth, and your truth, your truth, then what happens when my truth takes something from your truth, but I'm more popular, more liked than you? And also the law sides of me and the judge is my friend. Well, where is justice if truth is subjective? Whereas if there's an overarching truth that guides us and says, no, there's good and bad, it doesn't matter how much money I have, how popular I am, or who's my friend, justice must prevail. We're in a very interesting time as a culture. And the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he foresaw this a long time ago and said, where people have no value or perspective or don't care what God thinks, they cast off all kinds of, of standards. There's no law, there's no order, there's no respect. People don't, don't take care of there's no kind of, like people just go mad. Literally, one translation says, people run wild. There's no revelation of God, people run wild. Now, when we hear the word restraint, there's no revelation of God, they cast off restraint. Again, that revelation is, is connected to the reverence thing that we talked about uh, in week one. It's funny because we don't like the word restraint. Like we don't like, we don't, just the term feels a bit like, oh, like it's like you're trying to hold me in or hold me back or stop me from doing things. But actually, there's a difference between being restrained and having restraint. One I would submit to you today is good and one is bad. To be restrained means I'm, I'm held back against my will. To restrain someone, to have a restraining order, to put someone in restraint. Like, to be restrained means someone's doing something against my will to hold me back. And so, most are aware of that 
side of the word, so we think, oh, that's what that means. But it's also a healthy side of the word. And I'm going to frame it as, the, as, as restraint. Where restraint is to be held back against my will, restraint is holding back according to my will. See, you can walk into a bakery and say, I'd like a chocolate profiterole, please. And they can say, I don't like you, no. And you go, hey man, that's discrimination, right? I have rights. Like, you will sell me this chocolate profiterole. Like, they are, they're holding me back against my will from having what I, what's mine. First, if I go to the baker, I say, Jamie, you're not having the flipping chocolate funeral. Pa, 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 pa. Remember the goal. Come on, Jamie. Direction determines destination. You can do it. You know, Adrian. Like, no one's, no one's going, oh my gosh, discrimination. Like, the police are going to come and arrest me for screaming at myself. Why? It's the same thing. The difference is where do they come from? When it's against my will, it's a bad thing. But when it's according to my will, it's a good thing. And what the scripture is saying is that when we value God, when we, when we interpret the world and life on our, on our own humanity through the lens of God being good and God being worthy of our trust, and we choose then to live a life of restraint, holding back according to what I want, to where I want to be, to who I want to be with, and who I want to be, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The problem is, so for so long, religion has, uh, how would you say, has kind of uh, set this up in the restrained way that, you know, religion says you should not, you're bold, you're bad, and you're shameful. And, and part of the reason why so many people push against church is because they see people, you know, in leadership roles, priests, pastors, whatever you want to call them, and they're saying to the people you shouldn't when they themselves are doing it. Right? Yeah. And you go, what a bunch of flipping hypocrites. Because they made themselves the standard and they can't even live up to it. But as long as we keep Jesus the standard, we all know none of us can live up to it. That's why we're dependent on his grace, mercy, help, and hope. Then it keeps the playing field level. No one is more better than anybody else here. Jesus is number one. And we need him every single day. But there is a, there is place in our conversation understanding that restraint is good for us. And the proverb finishes off by saying the benefit... Of staying on the wise path, the benefit of living life with a reverence or a revelation of God, the benefit of holding, of, ha of living a life straight financially, relationally, sexually, morally, is that there will be blessing. Yeah. And blessing is an interesting thing because, again, if you're not a Christ follower or a Christian, what does blessing mean? To be blessed, not stressed. What does this mean? Well, it's like this idea that God is a good Father and He wants good things for you. And when the good things that you want line up to what's good for you, like any good father, he will give them to you. There's a promise actually in the book of Psalms that says, God will give you the desires of your heart. But the, but the prerequisite, as we delight, as we have a reverence, as we have a revelation for him, as we want what's right and good and noble in the world, then God promises to bless us with these things. And if you're someone who's in college right now, you want your college work to be blessed. If you're trying to kickstart your career, you want your career to be blessed. If you're starting a marriage, you want your marriage to be blessed. If you're raising kids, you want your kids. And today actually we're celebrating child dedication. That's what we're doing. We're blessing. We're praying for God's blessing over these children. The benefit for staying on the wise path is there is blessing. So let's turn the corner down and get to the second half of the message. So how do we do it practically? Well, let me give you quickly four ways, four practical ways that we can live with restraint. And again, some of this is taken from a book by a guy called Henry Cloud. If you've ever read any of Henry Cloud's work, he's a clinical psychologist, he's brilliant. He wrote a book called Boundaries. 
Great book. You should read it. Seriously, everyone. Really recommend it. Henry Cloud, Boundaries. And I talked about in the book how our brain works when it comes to you know, having a goal and focusing, and he gets into all the technical terminology about how that's wired. But very simply, there's a really interesting outline for us so that when we say, I want to be there, I want to be here, I want to be like this, I want to be with that person, I want, this, is what I, this is who I endeavor to be in life, and I want to move a direction, but that direction requires restraint. How do we do that? Well, number one, there's some things that we have to attend to. Attend to. According to Proverbs, we need to attend to wisdom's instruction. We need to, as I said, heed. We need to attend to wisdom's instruction. So the question is, well, what is wisdom's instruction? Well, there's three ways to discover wisdom's instruction. One, we need to discern what wisdom is saying. Now, discernment in the biblical sense is this intuitive ability to know what the right thing is, or fully knowing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, Generally speaking, when it comes to the sexes, women are much better at being intuitive than guys. Men tend to be, not always, but tend to be more logical, rational, goal-focused, sequential, compartmentalized thinkers, which we need to build bridges and do all kinds of stuff. And generally speaking, women tend to be much more intuitive, the feeling, the vibe, you, you know, what you said there was harsh, da, 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 and somehow in God's perfect plan, it all works together. And, uh, and so in a, in a spiritual sense, when we don't have clarity on what to do next, oftentimes we can discern this sense, this vibe, this, I don't know, this, this idea, this leaning towards a certain thing. And what we're asking is, what we're saying is, is to discern wisdom, is to understand generally what God is saying. Like, I don't know specifically what he's saying, but I'm, I'm getting a sense, I'm getting a feel that maybe it should be this direction or in this way. Now, it was St. Benedict who said, we should listen and attend with the ears of our hearts. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, listen to your heart. You know why? It was Jeremiah who said, your heart is deceitfully wicked, and no man should trust in it. Because the same heart that you say to your spouse or mother, father, brothers, I love you, is also the same heart that secretly covets and judges and fantasizes and dreams of getting some people. The same heart that you're supposed to love people from is the same heart that you also do the opposite of love to. Why would you ever trust in your own heart? Have you not realized that doing so does not lead you in the path of wisdom? No, Benedict says, our heart is more like an ear. It's not our life, it's a listening device. And our heart is like, it's like a discernment aerial. Just like our phone picks up signal or connects to Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, our heart has the ability to pick up the spiritual wireless in the world. I don't have two off track and two down a spooky route, but I'm just saying, we notice because sometimes we can just have this premonition, this intuition that something is about to happen. That's because our heart hears things. And what Benedict is saying is that we should listen, we should open our hearts, and maybe here today, Ask the question, God, if you're there, what could you be saying to me right now? So the first thing is turn. Secondly, second way we, we, we heed wisdom instruction is we define. So going from a general sense to a specific sense, whereas in the discern phase, we're praying. For those who were with us in January, we were fasting. Discerning is all about seeking God, praying, asking God to speak to me. Praying, by the way, isn't just repeating words over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And trying to nag God to death. That's not prayer. That's religion. Prayer is a conversation of trust. 
That you know what, I know my father is good, I know he's worthy of my trust, I know he wants good things for me, I know he, he's got a plan and purpose. I mean, prayer is, is as much listening to God as it is speaking to him. But sometimes for us to hear God, we got to shut up and stop moaning and stop asking and stop telling God what God already knows and ask God, God, what do I not know that I should know that would actually help me in this scenario? So certainly it's all about praying. But defining means something practical. And again, one of the big things we emphasize in our church is that when it comes to our prayer life, it's good to have some kind of devotional. We recommend, if you don't do this right, to have a, a journal, to get a reading plan, and to do a thing called SOAP. It's an acronym, SOAP stands for Scripture, O Observation, A Application, P Prayer. Because when you write down, like, okay, my SOAP today is Proverbs 29.18, and here's my observation. But the question is, is what does that mean to you specifically? Like, if you're reading and Scripture says... You know, uh, you, should, you should not hate your neighbor, but love them and forgive them. Like, that's clear. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is that we should love our neighbor and we shouldn't hate them, we should forgive them. But when you get to the A, it's like, what does that mean for you? Well, it means you gotta love your enemy. It's like, well, God, you don't know my enemy. He's different than everybody else's enemies. It's his enemies unlovable. Like, he needs fire and judgment. And, like, you know, heaven come down, but not in the good way. Like Elijah kind of way. Like fire. And God's like, no, 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 Love your enemy. And pray for him. All of a sudden it becomes real because this is God specifically speaking to you. So once through prayer you're discerning God's heart, once you're soaping and you have a specific sense, the third thing is to determine. To determine. Make a choice because choice are directions. It's to understand what my direction should be next, and then to take that next step. And even though you may have the full path, the full journey, and the full thing laid out, lit up, clarified, by taking the next step in the right direction, you're guaranteed to keep going in the right direction as long as every step that's the next step is the next step in the right direction. When your next step is not discerning, defining, determining what wisdom is saying, now you're off course. Now you're, now you're on a diversion which becomes a detour, which may feel like five minutes, but it can become five years. And as a pastor, I sit with people all the time, and they go, where did it all go wrong? Like, I, I told her on our wedding day that I'd love her and support her, da, 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 but how did I get here? Or how did I get so bad? I started with just doing some poker online, and all of a sudden my house is gone. Like, I can tell you story after story, I'm sorry, of real people whose lives were ruined. Because rather than listening, heeding wisdom's instruction, they ignored it. And they wouldn't have thought like this, oh, I'm now going on this diversion onto the path of the fool. But they were. And thank God people who wake up because there's always hope and there's always help to get back on the path of the wise. But the cost we pay. It's like one time a friend of mine was going on the M1 and he isn't good with directions. So he went through the toll bridge on the M1 and realized, I'm not going the right way. So came off the motorway, got back on the motorway, went through the toll bridge again. And I thought, no, this is still the wrong way. So got off the motorway, got back on the motorway, went to the same toll bridge a third time. Got off the motorway, drove around a while, ended up back on the motorway, went to the same toll bridge. I said, this time he had no money left. And he's like, what's going on? And they couldn't understand that he was just doing a big figure of eight loop and wasn't actually getting off course. And it was going on, it was taking his time, taking his money, taking his sanity. And taking in some sense his dignity because it's not cool to be that person. That's how it happens. In real life, it isn't a few euros and a toll bridge and a couple of hours. It's, it's a marriage. It's a home. It's, 
It's a part of our soul. It's our 20s. It's something really meaningful that perhaps in certain cases can never be regained. But the good news is that no matter how broken or how lost or how diverted we find ourselves, God never stops speaking. It's like when oftentimes the parent, you go with your kids, your kids kind of wander off track and you, you, you can't have a general idea where they are. Like, you know where they are, but they know where you are because they can't see you. You know what I'm talking about? And you say their name. And you say their name. It's almost like a honing beacon. And the more you say their name, the more they kind of figure out where you are. In the same way, I do it to my kids. God is always speaking to you. He loves you. He is for you. He is with you. And he wants to help you. And no matter how far you fall off course, none of us are ever beyond the ability of God's reach to bring us back. And the great news with the gospel is that religion would say, oh, you spent five years doing all this. You've got to earn your way back. The, the truth about grace is that we don't have to earn anything. Amen. As soon as we turn once again our hearts towards God and put our trust in him, he brings us back and puts us on the path in the wise. So we need to attend to wisdom's voice. Number two, avoid. And there's two types of avoid. There's some things we have. If we're going to stay on track, there's some things we have to avoid. And there's two things in particular, two types of avoidance. Number one, there's things we need to get out of the way of. They're coming towards us. They're trying to get on us. They're trying to get in us. They're trying to get around us. They're trying to get their filthy paws all over us. And we just got to get out of the way of these things. The first one is anger. Now you all know I'm a very calm and patient person, right? Over many years of preaching, telling you stories that make me look very embarrassed and very stupid and foolish. You've come to realize that you know, the pastor of this church is a very calm, relaxed person, doesn't really struggle with anger in any way, right? Uh, wrong if you're new, it's not my story at all. And uh, one of the quickest ways to be angry is in traffic. Because I don't know about you, but it seems like when I get in my car, everybody else is just stupid. It's like everyone should have went to this driving school I went to, because I obviously have this superior way of driving, and everyone else is a complete idiot. And it's shocking for me to think that maybe other people in their car are thinking the same thing of me. Like, what? Me? No way. Right? But I don't know why it gets me, but just sometimes the way people drive just frustrates me. Like, for example, if you're on a motorway, and it's 120 kilometers an hour, and you're doing 100 kilometers an hour in the fast lane, go home! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm better. I'm better. Just go home. Go find your country lane, do 80 dollars and just leave us all rest alone. Because we, we get places. Anyway, as you can tell, this is a problem in my life. So, when anger... There goes the TV. So I'm, I got anger at TV and I was gone. See what happens? But here's the thing about anger. Is that anger comes at you, you can feel it. And if you're an angry person, you know it's coming. Like some people, the, the, the gap between like calm and angry is like this. You've got this whole reserve of lovey, dovey stuff that's really wonderful. And some of us, it's like that. It's like zero to rage, it's like, it's like that. It's like, it's, just, it's always kind of just simmering like a fire in your soul. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, you can't solve that. Do you know what I'm saying? You can't quench that. It's just there. So what we need to do is get out of the way of anger. Second thing we need to get out of the way of is bitterness. Because where we are, where we are hurt and we hold people in unforgiveness over time, that becomes bitterness. And bitterness, it's so interesting because bitterness, where the person who has offended us has moved on and are living life and loving life, we're the ones sick and struggling. 
Because we're holding bitterness in our heart. And bitterness, we're told in the Bible, is like a root. It's like an affection. It's like, it's like a poison that gets into us. And not only does it make us sick, but it makes those around us sick. And again, we cannot help the fact that people will offend us. If you're, if you're offended as a person, it's because you're alive. Thank God for offense. If you're no longer offended, it means you're dead. You can't offend a dead person. But as the old saying goes, and here's another wise proverb, offense is never given, it's always taken. We choose to stand in the way of a head-on collision with offense at least, but it's all we can say, you know what? Off you go. I recognize, and sometimes we need help, we need counsel, we support, but you know what? I'm not going to allow this thing to determine my life. I'm going to let it go by because I'm on a path here. I've got a destination. And I'm determined to keep walking on the path of wisdom. The third thing we get away of is selfish ambition. And I'm really, this is really, I'm, I've really chose this purposely. Why? Because ambition, in a biblical sense, is not wrong. To have dreams and hopes and aspirations is not a bad thing. But where in every instance you're the center of everything you want and hope for in life, that's a path that's going to lead you to a miserable, sad, and lonely existence. Our life is best lived when we give it away to other people. Amen. I'm not saying that we don't use wisdom and prudence and I'm not saying be stupid or get into you know, unhealthy relations. I'm going to talk about in a second. I'm just saying that when you pour out your life, when you, when you use your resources, your energy, your wisdom, your knowledge, your time, whatever it is, your shoulder, people cry, when you, when you use your life to help other people, that's the most meaningful way to live life. But when you have this temptation for your whole existence to be just about you and your ego, man, that's something you've got to get out of the way of. Because if you get on that train, that might cost you 30 years before you realize. After a couple of divorces and your kids don't talk to you, and you might have the car, the house, everything else. But your life is a disaster. Do not fall for the trap of selfish ambition. Okay, so things get out of the way. Number two, second thing of thing, second part of avoidance, is things to get away from. So things we get out of the way of, things to get away from. First thing is temptation. There's no way to beat temptation. You know why we can't beat temptation? Because we are the chief cheerleader of our own temptation. When we're faced with temptation, it says, you should do something. And we think, oh man, that's not really good. I mean, I hear wisdom's voice, but the temptation. What do we tell ourselves? Mrs. Doyle and Father Ted. The cup of tea, Father. No, thanks. Ah, go on. Ah, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Ah, go on. Ah, she look, no, no. Ah, she look, it won't hurt anybody. Ah, she look, you deserve it. You poor little creature. Look at you. Oh my gosh. You just deserve to do this thing that's sinful and harmful and destructive and betraying and deceitful and you know it's bad and you've totally blocked out wisdom's voice but you know what, could you, could you go? We become the chief cheerleader of our own demise. You cannot fight battle. That's why scripture always says flee from temptation. Like, get away from it. If you find yourself in a context where you're tempted, just get the heck out of there. Press eject. Pull the ejection handle. Press the fire alarm. Jump out the window. It's the first door. Uh, I mean, just get away from that place. Because you will lose every single time. And then what happens is, 
We give in to the temptation. And we feel terrible. We've done, thought, or said something we shouldn't have done. Thought or said. And the enemy comes along and says, You foolish person. You're so selfish. You're so mean. How could you? The same voice that was saying, I'll go on, is now the same voice beating me up. It's a vicious circle where no one wins. And we can't beat it. We have to flee. Another thing we can't necessarily beat is addiction. We have to flee to get away from addiction. Because when, when something, it doesn't matter what it is, it might be a Netflix TV show or a social media app or a certain beverage, soft drink or whatever it is, wherever a thing has control over us, we're in trouble. Because now we can't make real, we can't choose our path because this other thing that we're tethered to now determines what we should and shouldn't do. And we think we're free because we think we're choosing it, but in fact, it's choosing us. And all of a sudden, it can lead us to a place where when it comes to meaningful choices, we're stuck. Which the third thing we're going to get away from is unhealthy relationships. Because it's good to have friends, it's good to have relationships, but when those relationships, when the other person is a narcissist and they're in it for themselves, of themselves, when they're the selfish ambition person and they're in it to use you because they're addicted to temptation you give them, Get the heck out of there. Don't try to fix them. They don't need you to be their hero. They need Jesus. They need salvation. They need counseling. They need healing. Then maybe they, they're ready to be in But if you find yourself in a relationship that's unhealthy, you need to get help. Because what's going to happen is, is whatever whatever's happening in them will eventually happen in you. We have to avoid these things. It was someone who said, it's a known quote, that you can avoid reality. But you cannot avoid the consequences of avoiding reality. Eventually, they'll catch up to you. Thirdly, after we attend, assess, avoid, and three, to assess. What do we assess? Well, the word assess in the English dictionary uh, refers to, or is defined as, to evaluate, judge, gauge, rate, estimate, appraise, weigh up, or analyze. And again, we're very good at assessing how much money is in our bank account. We're very good at assessing how much time is this going to take. We're very good at assessing, you know, man, I ordered my burger 10 minutes ago. Why is it ready? Like, we're very good at assessing all sorts of things. But we're generally speaking terrible at assessing our own lives. In fact, sometimes we're really good at evaluating, judging, engaging, rating, estimating, appraising, weighing up, analyzing other people's lives. For some of us, it's our, it's our favorite hobby. It's to have a running commentary on other people's lives. We seem to know exactly what everybody else should do all the time. Isn't that amazing? But when it comes to our own life, on our own journey, on our own path, we're completely blindsided to the absolute disaster that our life has become. And the question we're asking in the assessment phase is, what about the direction of my life? Like, yeah, I know my bank account. Yeah, I know today's plans. Yeah, I know this week's you know, schedule from work or college. Yeah, I know other people's lives. But how am I doing when it comes to where I want to be? Because here's the truth, and we've said this for years. Everyone ends up somewhere, but not everyone ends up somewhere on purpose. In the end, everyone ends up somewhere. But in the end, not everyone ends up somewhere on purpose. And I think that we want to be the kind of people, don't we? In life, in marriage, in relationship, in family, in careers. That we want to end up somewhere on purpose. But to end up somewhere on purpose, you need purpose to direct and protect you. Why? Because direction, not intention, determines destination. You know, we have all these great intentions, but ultimately speaking, it's not our intentions, but it's our direction that we take that determines our destination. Remember, many years ago, 
uh, my wife's from Brazil, and many years ago, the first time I went to Brazil, we went with her parents, and we went to her kind of, uh, where she grew up, which is like a small town in Brazil, like 10 million people, no big deal. And uh, I went to a smaller town, which is like 5 million people. And so we, we, we arrived at night in this town, and then drove to this town, and the next day we're driving back, and what happened was, was my, my wife's parents, my parents law, couldn't remember the way back to, to, to the, where we're staying. And so we arrive on the motorway to like the equivalent of the M50, and they're already like, what do we do? And I'm like, well, I think it's left. And look at me going, like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, you know, we're from, we've lived our whole lives here. Irish boy, you may know your way to Carrick Fergus, or Leitrim, or Ross Common, but this is Brazil. Like, I'm like, I'm just saying, I think it's left. And so eventually they, they went left, and then I told them to go right, and then go left. And, and somehow, some way, I managed to guide them back to the place we were staying. How weird is that? And it's not even that weird. What happened was, my dad was a military dude, and he always taught me growing up the power of observation, especially when it comes to landmarks. So always think about, if you imagine your life's on a map, and you're going this way, and you're going, like, just the way he taught me to think. So when I was leaving that place, and driving, subconsciously, I was just taking in information. Like, we're not heading south, there's that bridge, there's me in Ireland, of course, there's the cow. There's the one sheep, there's Farmer Joe, you know, there's McCaffrey's pub, like, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and somehow, I would, and the principle is, no matter how much we intended to get back, unless we had the right direction, we were never going to get to our destination. And too many people are denying the reality of the direction. They're actually living in the wrong, or they're living in a foolish direction. But when you talk to them, it's like, but you know, I'm a good person. And eventually it'll all work out. That's what we get fed through Hollywood. Like in the end, we'll all live happily ever after. And I can tell you one thing. After 16 years of being a pastor of church and counseling and being a hospital bedside and burying people, I can tell you as a, as a matter of fact that the general norm of reality is people don't live happily ever after. They don't. A lot of people are world, maybe in this room, are living in misery. Their life is hell. They don't need to go to hell. They're already living in it every day. But because we try to be socially acceptable, we all kind of cover up our wounds and, and, just, and just adapt and move and go. That's, there's, there's merit in that. But most people are struggling. And, and in their heart of hearts, they know that there's something in them says that there's a purpose for their life. There's a plan. There's something good for them. But just they're not living in the right direction. It was Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, who said, external things are not the problem. It's your assessment of them. See, when you're diverted, when you're off course, you need to ask yourself the question like I did in Brazil. What direction am I going in right now? Like with the relationship you're in, what direction is it going? Is it, lead, is it leading you towards something meaningful, something moral, something that's characterized by matrimony because the healthiest and safest way to raise a family today still in our culture is in the context of a loving marriage that's support of two parents as kind of culture that is science psychology backs up every single time that will not change god's design so is the relationship in the lead direction or is it the fact that somehow there you, you know who they are what they're doing is satisfying something in you that's not healthy not helpful but they're also getting their pound of flesh out of you and you know in the end this is going to end up somewhere toxic and the person you do want to be in a meaningful matrimonial moral relationship you have to explain all this to them because the lady doesn't marry the tramp people 
People who are holding themselves out looking for the right person aren't out on a Friday night giving themselves away to anyone that will look at them and smile and say nice words. They're living in restraint because they know I want something that lasts. I want something that's meaningful. I want something that I can raise healthy, happy kids in so I will live with the self-imposed, not religious standards, but a self-imposed restraint because that's who I want to be one day. I mean, we know this. I don't, have to, I don't have to preach to convert it. But here's the bottom line. If you find yourself lost, if you find yourself diverted, when you can't figure it out for yourself, you can find a way out. Why? Because here's the good news. There is help available to you. And there is hope available to you. Because God is available for you. And before you discount him, I was like, oh, psh, God, like, you, are you crazy? You tried everything else, right? I mean, people are on our apps for like sleeping, dieting, and you know all these different cycles. And people are taking medication. People are meditating. People are doing everything. Why not open your heart to wisdom, and maybe allow yourself to believe for a second that there is a Father in heaven who does not judge you, but loves you, and more than just loves you in a generic sense. Loves you in a specific sense. Wants to help you and give you hope. Why not number four as we close the message? Why not act on this? Because the heed wisdom's instruction, we have to act. As you conclude, we have to cop on to this fact. We have to wake up. We have to, we have to accept that diversions are never just detours. Diversions become directions and directions become destinations. Our daily choices, as innocent as they may seem, are always directions and discipline to live not restrained but to live restraint recognize that my daily choices if they're if they're led and guided by the voice of wisdom can keep me on the wise path and even though in the short run that may mean my friends think I'm boring or outdated or maybe call me mean things especially because you're a Christian in the end you will have the thing that they always wanted because you are willing to live with this restraint to have it. it was John Wooden, one of the most winning, winningest coaches in American basketball history, who said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think of you. What a quote. When you ask for wisdom's help, you need to heed wisdom's instruction. How do we live with restraint, number one? We've got to attend to what is wisdom saying. We've got to avoid the things that will distract and try to deter us from wisdom's path. We need to be open and ask tough questions of ourselves. Not, not judge and evaluate everyone else, but ourselves. Where am I right now? How am I doing? And am I really progressing in the things that God has in my life? Or am I diverted? Am I on a detour? And then when you figure those things out, just act. Because there is hope and there is help available to you. Next.